0: price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper? Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, taking you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to the writer and performer Phoebe Waller-Bridge. American TV viewers will know her as the creator and star of the buzzy Amazon series Fleabag, or as the leading creative force behind the BBC America hit Killing Eve. And on the big screen, she's carved out a place in the Star Wars universe as the voice of a droid in Solo. But her breakout came on stage at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in 2013, where the one-woman show that inspired Fleabag had its award-winning premiere. Some six years later, Wallerbridge has returned to that play, also called Fleabag, for a sold-out run at the scrappy Soho Playhouse in downtown New York. And she's doing it just as the second season of Fleabag the TV series gears up to arrive on Amazon Prime in May, while her twisty, surprisingly funny, psychosexual thriller Killing Eve hits both BBC America and AMC in April. Hey, Phoebe. Thanks for being here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um,
0: so before we talk about uh, what it's like for you to do Fleabag now on stage, tell us a little bit about what, where you were in your life when you made the show and what sort of prompted you to do it back in 2013.
1: Where was I? I was a um, jobbing actress and I had a theatre company at the time uh, with Vicky Jones who's the director of the show yeah. and
0: um and who you've worked with subsequently on uh, your TV projects
1: yes yes exactly and um but also so that's kind of where I was professionally it was just kind of in the in the hustle really yeah.
0: Were you um, a writer? Did you write also?
1: Well, I'd started doing little short plays for our theatre company uh, called Drywrite. And we used to do these like monthly events where we would get writers, we'd produce them, and Vicky would direct on the night. And we'd get sort of 10 to 15 writers to write um, a short play to a specific brief. And the brief was always sort of um, targeted at getting the audience to have a particular type of reaction. So it would always be like either make the audience fall in love with a character in under five minutes or make a guilty character... Uh, forgivable or any of those things and um, for the first sort of year of doing those I didn't write anything and then there was one like one month when we did one when uh, I had an idea and I sort of said to Vicky I kind of want to kind of want to write this down and then she she made me <laughs> to thank for my writing career um she made me and then i wrote it and, so, and then that went really well and so that was the first time i felt like oh i actually feel like i could do this and i really enjoyed it and it was such a thrilling experience like writing stuff and then i performed that very short play as well so i'd done that and then a couple right. of short plays for the oxford school drama showcase thing but nothing um nothing just for me nothing solo and nothing bigger than that right
0: yeah and so what prompted you uh to try Fleabag and what was it also what was there in the sort of ideas and themes and the character that you really wanted to tackle
1: well it started because a friend of mine another friend of mine uh, Deborah Frances White who now uh, runs the Guilty Feminist Podcast and oh. it's now like a uh, hella big deal yeah. <laughs> and this is when we were all sort of scrabbling around together all at the same time and she did a um, a night with comedians at the London Storytelling Festival and then she had a slot free and she said I've got like seven comedians coming they're all telling stories would you like a ten minute slot to come and do this like and, and I was suspicious that she was asking me to do stand-up which I've always been terrified of doing yeah. but she reassured me that I could sit down and it could be like I could have the page and it wasn't such a kind of comedian-led thing and so I just said Oh to hell with it I'm just going to do it I'm going to commit myself to this it's an audience that I don't really know because it's a comedy audience so I was like if I bomb no one's going to know and I've kind of got to put my money where my mouth is because I've been talking a lot about how I was bored of playing sort of princess parts or auditioning for parts where girls just cry or have abortions and I just (laughs) I just felt like um this is the chance and it's only 10 minutes so I started so I sat down at home and I started writing it and I just I, I didn't know where to begin so I just started writing what I thought would make Vicky laugh who was my best friend at the time and we worked together so I started writing what turned out to be the um uh, the the beginning of the play, which was the Obama wank and the boy and her being very cruel about her boyfriend and right. and all that kind of sort of cynical uh, funny stuff, and then it ended with her at the doorstep with that list of things that she feels like she is like, um, yeah. um, which is in
0: the TV series as well. If they haven't, yeah,
1: haven't weirdly, I've had a complete blank. I mean, I'm doing it every <laughs> single night, <'cause> I can't <laughs> think of that. My that bit of my brain has just switched off, um, and uh, so and that was the basic structure for it and it happened there and I really felt like I wanted to write somebody who was angry and a little bit filthy and will had sort of like used sexual candor to uh f- to make people laugh and to shock and surprise and then at the very end there'd be an emotional twist that actually she's very self-aware and she has this horrible feeling that she's these that, that she's just a mess of a person um and then that went down well and then somebody there said you should take this you should write this into a full-length play and take it to Edinburgh and, um, and actually that I remember that girl was absolutely hammered after the thing and she came up to me and she sort of said this <laughs> drunkenly to me and Vicky and our producer um, Francesca from uh, Dry right, um, got wind of this idea and she actually booked the space in oh. Edinburgh and then told me <laughs> after that that I had an opening night I needed to write for so how, how long did you have? Um, ah, oh, I had a few months, okay. but then I kind of kept putting it off and then it got then and then about 3 weeks before uh, Edinburgh they actually locked me in a room and I started properly writing it.
0: And what do you remember about that time at Edinburgh? Um, I mean, because you are one of I mean hundreds of plays that happen in Edinburgh. How like how many shows per day did you do? How did you even stand out once you know in in the crowd?
1: Well, I did one show a day at like I think it was ten forty-five at night, mm-hmm, sure. and at the um, at the underbelly in the big belly space. So it's yep. kind of like a cave, yep. <laughs> and, uh, which felt appropriate. And um, I guess because it was something I never thought I was going to do, um, and there wasn't really anything going a- else going on in my career acting wise. I mean, there were bits and pieces, but nothing. And I just thought, I've just got to, we've just got to go and do this. We've got nothing to lose. If this goes badly, it's okay because it was never on my list, you know. <laughs> right. And so went up there, just feeling like bring it. On, <laughs> and uh, we're going to make the most out of this that we can. It's a tiny little group of us. It was me, Vicky, um, Francesca, my sister um, Izo, did the music, mm. and then our stage manager Shah, and um, and up we went. And then I just remember it was just a stool in Edinburgh, and we just sat down on the first night. And I didn't have the final line of the play until the train on the way up. I mean, the whole mm. thing just felt so. It was really intense. Uh, coming up with it because it was basically a three-week writing um, process but i knew that i was cramming in years and years and years of things that i felt and um and then did that and then on the first night we just had this amazing response and we sort of were like oh god maybe this is maybe something's sort of happening here and then we got good reviews and then the the word of mouth got round, and then people came Yeah, yeah
0: yeah and from an observer's perspective i feel like uh what happened with fleabag is sort of the dream for a lot of performers and creators like you sort of get discovered at a yeah, festival yeah. and like your career explodes and suddenly you're making tv shows and you know playing yeah, a robot in really. uh in star wars um what was your experience of it but did it feel that way did it um i don't know just tell us about kind of what that
1: <laughs> well, like, what it's that felt a, like it, it- it never feels like you're out of the hustle. So yeah. I think the moment Fleabag went well, I mean, if someone had told me in Edinburgh that like in a few years' time you're going to be in Star Wars because of this, I probably probably then would have had like a kind of hysterical uh, like panic attack of joy, but, <laughs> which I did yeah. also at the time. But you don't imagine that things are yeah. going to grow that that way. And I think it's when people say, "Did you expect this to be a success?" It's like I hoped it would be, right. you know, and you believe it should, should be if it's a work that you've put so much love and, and heart into. Um, but at the time, it was just one foot in front of the other, so it was just they gave us this pilot. So then the next massive challenge was me the trying to turn of it into a flyback, flyback. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So right. the BBC came to Edinburgh right. um, and they said, um, and then they they offered this this um, pilot. And then I took so long. I took you know. And then that was a year of then um, getting. Actually, I was in Broadchurch, hmm. so that was the first like proper primetime job I had, and that was off the right. back of uh, a as well, because they'd come. I mean, it was. I mean, it was just a button-pressing moment when everything changed for me, yeah. and I think the feeling that it was came of came out of something that me and people I loved and and creatively respected so much had done completely on our own with no grown-ups around. Yeah. <laughs> felt uh, it just gave it gave everything a, a sense of integrity that I think yeah. then we can just constantly build on from there.
0: Do you remember what as you grappled with? sort of taking this this one-hour show and turning it into um, a full season or full series as you would say um uh, on tv what what was sort of the biggest challenges in there
1: oh man it was so hard um the biggest challenge i think was a tool that is that i used in the play was that you or that i would really lean into is that she's your only window into this story so she's your only perspective so everything she tells you you have to believe is true um because there's nothing else to prove it otherwise which gave me so much power as a character because then you can twist the narrative and you can reveal things it's an unreliable narrator um and then suddenly when it the camera is actually showing the world then you have actual people standing there actual people um saying things the situation is real that she's standing in she's not it's not just reported so then i had to work out my God, I have to show what she's like in real life as well as what she's like when she's just telling us about her life. Right. But once that had clicked, that actually she's quite sweet and nice to people in real life and quite polite and just kind of normal seeming. And then when she turns to the camera is when she's um, the flea bag that we we're, we're, were sort of asked to believe is the real flea bag. Right. Um, that, that really helped and then she's kind of got this sort of split personality going on I suppose that helped and then the moment I realised that the relationship with the audience in the play is the most important relationship to me and when I was writing it that I want it's this relationship of come into my life it's going to be hysterical there's going to be loads of sex stories you're going to love it I'll make you I promise I'll make you laugh I promise I'll make you laugh and then by the end of it she's saying get away from me get away from me and she's in tears um and I wanted that experience in the TV show. So when I realized that at the end of the series, she'd actually be running away from the camera rather than beckoning it in, mm. that was a sort of that solidified the arc for me. Right. Yeah. But I took so long doing the pilot that, I mean, at one point the BBC were like, don't bother. <laughs> and we had to go in through another direction to say, no, no, no. Oh, we're really? doing this oh. Yeah. Yeah. So they did. So, I mean, it's, it was, it felt like, and it's this amazing opportunity that I almost lost because I was taking so long.
0: Right. Yeah. And do you remember what? As you were sort of digging into these characters and these situations that you created, what sort of surprised you as you kind of looked into them more? And
1: um, I guess that they all. The thing that surprised me—what surprised me—is that seeing them, the moment people surprise Fleabag, actually mm. was the moment was when it started getting again really fun in the writing because. The idea I had the idea that she is creating this show and she's. Is this in the TV show or the... the oh, right in the TV show. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So once the camera's out, and the idea is that she's kind of pressed record and said, hey, this is in it. And she, mm-hmm. like at the beginning of the series, um, she cuts people off, the edit cuts people off when she's bored of them um, in the like first couple of episodes and stuff. And so yeah. she has total control over the storytelling. And then when I realised actually we can play with that a bit. And when she's telling you, come into the scene, this person's going to be a total asshole, And then they're not a total asshole. Right. Like with the godmother at the beginning. Yeah, right. um, and she says, oh, she's going to be the worst. And then when we turn around, she's like, hello, she's <laughs> so lovely and she's so adorable. And then Fleabag's like, no, no, has to turn back to us and go, oh no, I mean, I promise. I promise she is. <laughs> like, I swear, you have to believe right. me. And starting to be able to play those parts of it um, were was a big moment, I think, when you just realise that there's a kind of structural thing that you could start playing with
0: yeah and then season two hasn't started for us yet it's uh going in the uk um what is it i assume the new season is entirely new material because i feel like you've kind of taken all you could out of that uh that hour-long yeah. stage show and put it in the in the tv show um how hard was that to do was that uh and it you know it took it took a few years. Um, yeah. Was it-
1: well, I decided not to do it.
0: Okay, that was, that was, one of, that was my first yeah. question, actually. Like, <laughs> did you initially think you were going to do a second no, season? No, are yeah. you
1: crazy? Yeah. It had a perfect ending. <laughs> <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I was, like, it was just like, at the end of that, I was like, I know, because at the end of the play, it's like I would never write Fleabag to the play, you know. So I was like, how am I going to do this? And then I thought about it, thought about it, and, and I felt, like, so smug with the integrity, the artistic integrity of, like, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to break all the rules and only do one season. And then um, Amazon and the BBC were sort of great and just said, it's, it's open if you want to keep thinking about it. And because they'd put that seed in the back of my head, we hadn't closed it down. I was like, oh, damn it. And then I had this idea. Um, again, it was about the structure and the form because I thought the camera it's all about the relationship with the camera for me, actually. And I always knew that she'd, in terms of real life, she would still have to get up the next day and have another, you know, and continue her life and interesting things would happen to her. So it wasn't so much that 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 I thought was challenging. It was the relationship with the camera was come into my life and then I don't want you in my life anymore. And at the end of um, the first series, probably people don't notice this, but after the reveal scene... Um, yeah. In this exhibition, she doesn't actually look at the camera again, because her confession is out. Um, right. And even though that's not explicit, and maybe not, I don't want the audience necessarily knowing that and seeing it. And I don't want them thinking about that stuff when, right. you know, when there's emotional stuff going on. Right. Um, but I thought I need to find a way to to change her relationship with the camera. Right. And once I'd worked out how to retain a relationship with the camera, it felt fresh again.
0: It occurs to me, for people who haven't seen the TV show yet, we should mention that there, you do a lot of direct address. To the
1: oh god, yeah, it yeah. Is. You think there are people who haven't <laughs> seen the show? Are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I'm. Um, yeah, and it's and it's yeah, I break the fourth wall um, right. all the way through it. Yeah. sort of instantaneously, like from like minute one, you break the yeah. Yeah,
0: you break the fourth wall, and it's. Uh, I was surprised by how it's such a sort of simple. Um, I don't know, mechanism, but it's so instantly charming. Like you instantly like this person, right? No matter what she's saying because she's looking directly at you and talking at you and sharing a joke with you, right? Exactly. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Um, Oh, good. Anyway. Um, And so...
1: uh, I think that's the thing. It's about how honest, the idea that she's honest in that moment to you. And I think that was, that's what felt so dangerous. Like people, when the first series came out, people asked about, um, did you feel like uh did you feel nervous about it being quite explicit or anything and i and i just thought it's actually really not explicit and there's no nudity in the show right. either and right. because the play is uh is very graphic in some moments um and I just love that she can play with language like that. And there's like the handprint on the wall from when I had a threesome on my period and stuff, which, <laughs> which you can't do <laughs> on camera. Right. <laughs> but you can do. And that's what's so brilliant about, the, about having one narrator who could just land little bombs like that right. and then look naughtily at the audience. And, um, and it was similar with the, uh, with the TV show, except I just really didn't want to show too much. It just all had to be in her telling of things, and that's where the power was.
0: Right, right. So let's talk about doing the stage show again. Um, yeah, how did it how did it come about? First of all, you, um, you, I'm guessing finished work on season two, and what like what where were you in the process of doing season two that uh, the idea of um, revisiting the stage show came to you?
1: Oh, it actually came to me. I mean, years ago, oh. I always wanted to bring it here. Oh yeah! Always wanted to bring it to New York. It's just been a dream for all of us at Dry Right as well. It's just mm. like if we get there's something about it like getting to New York, oh. you know. And um, but because of the TV shows and stuff, it just never sort of made se- like sense timing wise. And then um, and then we found that this was the first time. This was like the the, the earliest time we could get here. And so we um, and then found the Soho Playhouse. And I just really felt I wanted to revisit her one last time as well. And Do you know why? I think because I've been on such a journey with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and also knowing that Maddie Rice, who's a brilliant um, actress, had performed the play um, in Australia and mm. around the UK as well while I was making the TV show. And the fact that mm. it was still alive yeah. and that she was doing it just sort of gave me the... And it was, it was a play while the other stuff was going on as well. Right. Just felt so important. And I felt like when I finished this, the series... I was going to I was like the perfect way for me to end this say goodbye to this character is to go right back to the beginning and and say all those words again <laughs>
0: and, <laughs> and so what's it like are you enjoying it first of all
1: yeah I love yeah. it I was quite I mean it's been like six years or something Yeah. so when I read it when I first like when we did rehearsals and I opened the script again I was like oh i read it and I was really shocked by it <laughs> I was just like oh my god I, was thinking, going, I don't want to say this <laughs> god, this is revolting <laughs> um, but uh, and it was funny that reaction was funny because I remember at the time God like the fierce the like defiance of it it's like I've got to say these words it's so important and like, the, the world's changed so much people are so much more open about talking about um, female sexuality and and you know all the complexities of like the female experience and sex and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, in a wonderful way Um and and so I guess then it just felt like a box was exploding. Mm. And now it it still feels like that because the story still has its own twists and turns, but those conversations feel feel different. Oh, that
0: was one of my questions, actually, was sort of, are you aware of how the way the world has changed um, has affected the way the show lands um, with the audiences that you're talking to now as opposed to then?
1: Yeah, well, there are a lot of themes uh, that apply. <laughs> um,
0: y- yeah, I mean, it... it almost starts to feel prescient after a while and like, it,
1: I know a lot of people have asked me if I wrote if I changed it yeah. um, and actually we haven't I, I thought it either has to be the exact play that we did in the first place or, or nothing at all really because mm. I don't think it should be adaptable um, for the times um, and so strangely yeah there's like there's a lot of stuff about like unwanted uh, sexual advances yes. in the yep. play and um, and how women deal with that mm-hmm. and actually um, her spin on on all that as well felt, but again, it felt so unsaid when I did it mm-hmm. the first time. Right. Totally said between me and my friends, and how we would talk to each other privately, but not on a literally not on a stage. Um, and that's what felt so dangerous about it then. Whereas now it's a different kind of um, uh, fierceness. I want to attack it with because now I'm like, yes, now it's articulating something mm. that is that is being talked about or, already, and so much now. Whereas before, it, you know, the the ambition was. To articulate something that hadn't been. So it still feels... I still feel powerful saying those things.
0: Do you think it... Do you think your performance has changed? Do you have an awareness of the fact that... Of whether your performance has changed from six years ago?
1: I mean... I feel a little bit older, but we can't <laughs> escape that, can we? Sure. <laughs> um, there is actually a line in the original script. <laughs> I lie, I lie, I say we didn't change the script. <laughs> in the original script, I look defiantly at the end to this uh, this guy and I go, I am 26 years old. <laughs> And then I did it in rehearsals, and we were like, "I can't get away with that <laughs> anymore." <laughs> and so we did, we did a little slight adjustment there. Um, but I think, but I think that's that the shockability I felt reading it again actually made me feel like the the most ch- like that I had changed, and I was mm. like, "God, am I the right person to play this now?" And am I? Mm. Um, but actually, um, but I still feel like I am because really, the, it's the story at the heart of it. It's the character. It's never it can never be about themes or issues because then your work will date and, and people will see right through it really quickly and audiences will get bored. And that's obviously was my worry. But then once I got into it again, when I realized I had a character to hold on to and that it's actually, she could exist in any time. Um, then I was like, no, it's, uh, it's okay. We're cool. I think we're cool. We'll see. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did all the work you've done with the character, playing the character on the TV series, did that influence how you play her now? Or are you aware of that at all?
1: probably in some ways it's deepened the character there's something mm. strange about playing a character you know the future of yeah yeah. <laughs> like, rather uh-huh. than being able because you can't do anything with that yeah. on stage you're not like it's okay baby you're going to be fine yeah. or not yeah. um, we'll see how season yeah, two we'll rolls see. out I was going to say we'll see how season two ends yeah. um, but I think it's definitely it definitely deepens my relationship with the character yeah. Um but um, but I don't think it would affect the performance. My agent said, oh, there's one character called Joe in the play. And I was like, do you think it's changed? And she said, I think you played Joe a bit better. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> that's, that's not the answer I was looking for. Thank you. But I was like, good. I'm glad we had this conversation.
0: <laughs> um, you said a few minutes ago, or uh, you know, 10 minutes ago, that uh, this was a character that you were done with. Is that right? Are you, is this a no more Fleabag?
1: Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of... Um, I don't think I'll do the play again. I don't and I don't think I'll do a season 3 before I'm 50.
0: Mm. Why? <laughs> just, do you and do you have a sense of
1: I mean I feel like it comes from it takes so much out of me and it gives me so much energy at the same time this character. Um that I feel like I just need to go and do some more stuff before I find out where she gets to next. Because she was in the first series and in the play, she's stuck. She's in a kind of... She's in a rut, an emotional rut and a familial rut and a relationship rut. I mean, everything's just stopped. And the second is when things start to dislodge in the second series mm-hmm. and something starts moving for her again. Mm. And... I suppose the next one for that would literally be her, like on a slide or something. I don't know. Right. <laughs> like, she'd have right. to be going full pelt. And I don't know what that would be yet. So I'd say, right. I'd say no. I, I haven't planned that far ahead. That. Right. But I'd love the idea of the next time we see her is me at 50 yeah. looking down the barrel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, in addition to Fleabag, both on stage and on screen, uh, Killing Eve, the second season of Killing oh. Eve is coming out. Let's talk a little bit about that. Mm. Partially because I'm, I'm obsessed with it. And also partially because I feel like. Um, when I, at least when I first heard about the project, it felt like sort of a conscious pivot for you in terms of the kind of work you do. Was that was that strategic at all? Or was that, like, how much did you think about kind of, oh, this is, people might perceive this as something different than what they might, than the sort of relationship comedy that they might associate with me otherwise?
1: Yeah, I was super aware of that. I didn't go looking for it, though. Okay. I went, um, and I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have come up with it on my own. It was um, at Sid Gentle Films, the production company, and Sally Woodward-Gentle came to me when the when I just brought the play back to London, the play of Freebad back to London, right. and she and it was really out of left field, and she just contacted my agent and said, "Do you think Phoebe would be interested in doing these, uh, adapting these fine novellas?" Right. And I was sort of like, "I mean, so cool that that she thought that, you know, yeah. and that it was it was her her imagination that thought go go that direction rather than, you know, someone who's done that before." Um, but then the decision to do it was, you know. I mean, I read the books and loved the characters so much, and loved what Luke Jennings had had created. And it felt like one of those things that it seemed so obvious it's, it takes somebody who's genuinely like smarter than everyone else to come up with something so simple and brilliant, which is a female to female cat and mouse. And I read this, and I was just like, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, but then on top of that, yeah, I was I was like, this would be a an, this would be an, a surprising move, and I think you've got to live to surprise, really, in this industry. Yeah.
0: And how how does this spy thriller basically this cat and mouse um how does it build on the work you'd done in something like Fleabag or Crashing do you have a sense of what the what the skills were that you developed there that you then used in Killing Eve
1: well I think the the cracks um are what's so the cracks in the in the comedy of Fleabag so it presents as a comedy it's like this is a sitcom it's a sex comedy it's going to be hilarious and then there's a little crack and you're like she's in so much pain (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the little cracks that show the drama and uh, and and that there's something underneath running underneath that kind of Bleeds through the cracks, and it was that way round for the, for Fleabag, and so I think I took that, have what I'd learnt from there, and moved it to okay, this is a spy genre, but that, that it has cracks that show something else, and I thought bringing the comedy in and bringing all that relationship and heart um, from which could lie beneath that. So I, I I knew how to set... By then I knew how to set something up to look like one thing and then skewer it so it reveals itself to be something else. And I think the best way to keep something fresh is that it has to keep revealing itself as something different. It has to keep evolving as the show goes on. And um, and I think I'd learned that with 3Bag, that mm. every episode you have to reveal something new, not just have a new plot line. It has to reveal something. Layers. You have to, The audience have to believe that there are endless layers to these characters. And I think that's what I'd, I'd taken into Killing Eve. What Was there a thing in
0: particular that, particular that you got to do um, with Killing Eve that, uh, you know, like a genre
1: trope or something that you really enjoyed playing with? Oh, I mean, all the kind of espionage yeah. stuff was so cool. and yeah. all, And being able to know that people knowing that what we're used to seeing is people talking very seriously mm. about international issues with each other and, and knowing that because people being really serious, like if lots of people are being serious at the same time, it, nothing makes me laugh more than yeah. that. because <laughs> <laughs> It's like someone's got to be like, guys are being really serious. Um, <laughs> like no matter how serious the situation is, it's going to be funny. Someone's going to drop a cup or someone's going to fart or something, you know. Right. It's going to be it's gonna, something's going to happen. <laughs> and uh, so I think it was that. I loved, I loved going into a very serious world and allowing the characters to be funny and witty and uh, all the kind of um, all the jargon that goes with it and also then being able to be like you have an agent who's untrained newly assigned who's face to face with an assassin and having the freedom to go what does she do she doesn't just like back up against a wall hold her gun up and just like whisper into her microphone 526 this is a mo you know she just right. goes shit yeah. <laughs> and just like runs upstairs <laughs> like I would you know it's like damn it right. um, all that kind of stuff yeah it was yeah. really fun um,
0: before you go what else have you got on your plate you've got uh, you're working with HBO on a new series yeah with, yes I'm exactly Vicky producing
1: that um, that's Vicky's show um, called Run she's just this brilliant um, premise of these two people who run away with each other after having been in love in their in their teens and she so I'm just execing that and that's all her absolute genius mm. um, so we're working together on that and then yeah doing Fleabag here and then I'm gonna I really, uh, I've got an idea for a movie that I really want to do and I want to direct so I'm kind of just oh. putting my head on I don't know what the end of the sentence is okay. I'm, putting, <laughs> my, I'm putting my head on <laughs> I'm glad to see it there uh, <laughs> My desk? I don't know. Yeah. In front of
0: my computer? Um, one thing that occurred to me as you were talking about sort of the cracks in Fleabag, um, is because she is in so much pain, is that a hard place to go to
1: every night? Um, n- No. It's kind of like, it's, you have to go... It, it can be a little bit exhausting. I don't feel like it's an exhausting show because people keep saying, My God, that must be so exhausting. I'm like, I know, I stand up twice. Ooh, it's it's, it's, pretty, rough. Exhausting. it's, it's <laughs> pretty exhausting. It's pretty exhausting. It's a
0: marathon, 65 um, minutes. I know. <laughs>
1: exactly. So I'm always like, No. Um, but, but the truth is, I guess, and I've only really started feeling it over the last couple of days, that really you do, I sort of, I always slightly cringe at the idea of like, you go somewhere but you have to pull something out of yourself every time to make it feel truthful. But I actually feel, when you come out, but when I come out of the show, I'm buzzing, like most people are when they've come off stage. But I think the deeper a character is, the more pain you have to play, the more emotional complexity there is. Again, that, the more powerful you feel as a performer and the more important it feels and the more full of something you feel. So I, it actually really invigorates me um, that I have to play someone who's going through so much um, sort of inner trauma because it's the complexity of it feeds me in some way. I think. I think. I think I'd be more exhausted playing a one-dimensional character who doesn't really do anything or say anything or go deep in any way.
0: Right. Which is what you wrote Fleabag to not do, right? Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so so you're you saying so so you about have, right? <laughs> no, no. But
0: that's why that's why you wanted to create something for yourself, yeah, right? Exactly. You were, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Is there another play in you? Do you think?
1: Oh yeah. Oh my God, definitely. I'd love to do a big. A big play, without without just me, more than one character. <laughs> yeah. Okay, <laughs> I'd like, yeah, I'd like to talk to other people on stage. Um, although I do, I mean, no, I, yeah, I'd love to write a big family play. I've had a big family play in my mm. in my heart for a long time. Um, so yeah. great Well, we
0: can't wait to see it. Thank All right. you. Thanks, Phoebe. Thanks for being here. Thanks nice so much. To <laughs> That was Phoebe Waller-Bridge, now starring in Fleabag at the Soho Playhouse through April 14th. On Amazon Prime, the second season of Fleabag, the TV series, bows May 17th. And season two of Killing Eve premieres April 7th on both BBC America and AMC. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, we'd love it if you would rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe wherever finer podcasts are dispensed. And for fans of podcasts, I'll be in Nashville from May 31st through June 2nd for the first PodX conference, bringing together your favorite networks, podcasters, and podcasts, from true crime and politics to pop culture and storytelling to, of course, theater and stagecraft, all in one weekend. On the next episode of Stagecraft, I talk to Celia Keenan-Bolger and Gideon Glick, two Broadway favorites who are playing young, real young, in Aaron Sorkin's hit stage adaptation of To Kill a Mockingbird. Until then, see you at the theater.